I'll have you, you cow. <laughs> I like how you deliver that. I'll have you, you cow. You, you cow. You, you cow. You, you cow. <laughs> wow. Hey, it's Midsummer Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. I'm Sarah. And I'm Mark. And this is Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, and the loonies, and everything else we love. Great Scott! Just a warning off the top of the show, if you don't let your kids watch the show, the podcast is probably too much for them, but if they watch the show... I hope they enjoy the podcast. Great Scott. Great Scott. <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying It should be John Hopkins. <laughs> it's interesting. So that both lead actors now are named John. I wonder how they did that on the set. John, John, John. It makes it easier for my notes because I used to write T&T for Tom and Troy. And then I would get confused. And now it's T&S. So it's easier. Someday it'll be T&A. It's a whole different show. (laughs) Because, and we say, great Scott, because today we're talking about Bad Tidings, which is season seven, episode two, otherwise known as the debut of of Scott. Dan Scott. Dan. From the big city. He's from the smoke. Yeah, he is. He's from the Met. Yeah. The rough streets of London. So we just found out today, uh, to our sadness, that John Trapnell has passed. Uh, he played Max Jennings in Written in Blood. Had one of the most awesome last names ever. And we told that great story about his family and how they kind of made a whole kind of romanticized myth about their name. Yeah, shrapnel. Sad news. Sad news, but uh, it's great awesome, actor. It's an awesome episode. Go rewatch it. He was in uh, How to Get Ahead in Advertising. No, oh, yeah. I didn't know that, so. Mm-hmm. This episode, Great Scott, was filmed October, November uh, 2002 and broadcast the 4th of January 2004 to 9.96 million viewers. Directed by Peter Smith and written by Peter J. Hammond. This episode bothers me more than any other Midsummer Murder episode. It stuck with me. It made me feel yucky. For hours after I saw it the first time. There is only one episode I find yuckier than this episode. Which one? The piano episode. Oh, no, this one's yuckier to me. And I I remember after I saw it the first time, I thought, wait a minute, Midsummer Murders, it's never like overly bloody or, you know, they, they don't cover like super heavy duty kind of crimes. And what bothers me about this episode isn't even a crime. Yeah. It's relationships. It's one scene that really bothers me. Yeah. 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 And we'll get there. And, and I'm sure we're not the only ones who felt that way. Uh, it takes place in Midsummer Mallow. And the pub that we see once is called The Star. <laughs> it's not nearly as important as the Village Hall. No, the Village because Hall Because that's is... where they have a Spanish night. Spanish night. 
And that is how we cold open on a band pretending to play Spanish music. Oh my gosh, the guy with the trumpet isn't even trying to pretend. I don't think he actually held a trumpet before this. Now, the guy playing guitar can actually bar bar chords. So he plays guitar. Somewhat, but he's not. The drummer, I would say, knows how to hold the sticks. So I'm assuming he's an actual drummer. Keyboard player, you see him in like two shots. At first, I was like, there's nobody else. Oh, there's a keyboard player. I don't know if there's any keyboard in the music. I don't think so. There's some maracas. You don't see anybody playing maracas. Nobody's playing maracas. I was surprised there were no castanets because this is <laughs> it's a little a little close to the nose of racism it's here. It's cultural appropriation to the max. Yeah. And it's an event to the max. I'm really impressed that in a place like Midsummer, they could scrape together that many Spanish flamenco outfits. Yeah, it's, and okay, the band is not so on point. The food, not so on. There's some paella. Yellow and, rice. And <laughs> some horrible value lager that we'll get to, <laughs> right? There's a cheese plate, some wine, and somebody has ketchup there. I'm like, what are you putting ketchup on? <laughs> and some King's Mill bread, okay? So the food is okay. but The food the, is what you would expect. The outfits are on point. Yeah. Mary's got the widow's uh, weeds, like the big um, black lace yeah. mantle on the top of her head and everything. Instead of running a doll shop in this town, that how does that doll shop stay afloat? There should be a Spanish outfit shop. I'm thinking here in Bloomington, where I have to say we have uh, a major theater department. We have two amateur theaters and half a dozen or a dozen Fraternities and sororities that regularly have some kind of theme party. Two costume shops. And so we have two full-time, open-all-year costume shops. I bet you you could scrape together maybe three outfits. There's ten here at least. Maybe. It's crazy. Yeah. In the, in the scene, though there's way more than ten, there's ten matadors. Matadors. Because all of Spain is just matadors and flamenco dancers. That's it. That's all they've got. Well, and... Taco fonts, and we'll get to that. <laughs> so while we're talking about those outfits, though, let me tell you a little bit about those outfits, because I kind of always wanted to know why matadors wore those hats. You mean the Mickey Mouse ears? Yeah, it's like it's almost like a tricorn, but it's a bicorn. With Mickey Mouse of. ears. But it looks a bit more like ears, yeah. So a matador's suit, I'm going to try to pronounce this. Okay. Is traje de luces. Oh, it means suit of lights. Oh. And it refers to the gold thread and the sequins that are on them. But the hat is called a Montero hat. Uh, a Montero? Montero. Oh. Um, they're from the Iberian Peninsula. Oh, okay. They're a traditional hat from the Iberian Peninsula. Okay. That's at least Spanish. As yes. opposed to some other things. And the, they call them bulbs. Bulbs. Not Mickey ears. Okay. The bulbs on the side are meant to represent horns. That makes sense. They're stylized horns. That makes sense. And the hats are typically made out of astrakhan fur. Do you know what astrakhan is? No, I don't know what astrakhan. It sounds like a Japanese supervillain. It's this. It's a super short, tightly curled black, very silky soft fur because it's taken from fetal lambs. Oh. Or really newborn lambs. Like mm-hmm. eyes aren't even open yet. 
Wow. So if you're a newborn lamb, you don't want to be black. No. Because, because if you're black, you're probably going to become astrakhan. They used to make whole coats out of it. Oof. Roosevelt had a whole coat. Teddy. Wow. Teddy a had hat. a whole coat? It's, it's, apparently it's super soft. Oh. But it would be. I would think so. Ugh. Ugh. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Anyway, it's a Montera, not a Mickey Mouse. Okay. Well, Fiona and Gary Thompson are dancing and fighting. They are fight dancing. Because she bought her dress. How much did that cost? Like everybody else would rent one. We're on the verge of bankruptcy. <laughs> and they are the worst arguers in the world because they are, everybody knows their business. Well, yeah, they don't even know how to have like a clenched teeth fight. I told you not to find that dress. When we're dancing the flamenco, I'll talk to you about our debt. Like... Really? Just I wait till afterwards. Cut off all the money. Well, she gets upset. Yes. And apparently that makes her shoes magically change. Yeah, her shoes change. Because when she's dancing, she has, well, the feet that are hers when she's dancing have what we call character shoes, which are typical dance shoes. It's got a, like a pump, wide pump heel on a strap that goes across the top like a Mary Jane. But when she dies, she's just got on pumps. Mm. The strap just flew off in anger. <sighs> Had enough of Gary. I'm out of here. <laughs> he makes you so mad your shoes fly off. <laughs> okay, before we follow Fiona and leave the party, we need to talk about the slogger. Yeah, it's pretty, you know, it's, they, they focus the camera on it for quite a while. The piles of warm room temperature. I'm sorry, England, you're wrong about that. Beer. It's value lager and value bitter. Bitter. Now, first of all, it's British beer in a can, which if you don't know about British beer in a can, if it doesn't have a widget in it, which, which is, is a little ball, a little ball that makes it taste like draft beer, mm. like Boddington's, the official beer of my old band. <laughs> um, I love me some Boddington's. Then it tastes bad. Then it tastes bad. This is not just. Lager in a can without a widget. This is store brand lager in a can yes. without a widget. And what store would it be? It's Tesco's. Tesco's. If I was going to go to Tesco's and buy value lager. So this is like the equivalent of like Walmart. Yeah. In the UK. Walmart brand beer. Yeah. Uh, how much would I pay for one of these babies? You would pay 88 pence for a four pack. Like right now? Well, they don't sell the lager anymore, they but sell. they still have the bitter. It's, it's like a pound 50 for a four pack. A pound 50 for a four pack. It's only 2% alcohol. You could drink it all day and never get a buzz. You could absolutely drink that all day and not get a buzz. <laughs> but now, you, but you know what you could get? What? An awesome song. So you've done some work into the culture of Tesco's lager. We should insert a sample of that song right here. Wow. I'm sorry. That's going to be stuck in your head like it's stuck in mine. <laughs> it's on Spotify if you want to listen to it again. That was some fantastically bad EDM music, and I will put a link to it in the show notes. Because Tesco Value Logger is just so awesome. One review that I read said, if you can imagine water that's flavored to taste ever so slightly of lager, you'd be close to imagining what this tastes like. So maybe all the people over 60 who are at this party, are, that's all they can handle. I don't, I don't know. Because, uh, no, because Charles Rust, on his to-do, on his grocery list, 
has some whiskey. On his chalkboard? Yes. Yeah, but he would never share his good Malt whiskey. whiskey. Three red. Three red. That's at the bottom of the yep. list. We'll get there. Sorry. Yeah, so. Fiona's off. Cheap beer. Her shoes are angry. She's out of there. Yes. But there's a squeaking noise. It's the odd job man, Jacob. Yes. We can just call him odd job man. Yeah. He's, he's got a wheelbarrow. He's checking the handles on parked cars. He's got a mullet. He does. But, you know, Fiona doesn't make it home. We know that, right? No. No. There, so there's someone in the bushes, and the way they do it, it looks like it's a really super tall person because the bushes <laughs> move way up in the air, like seven or eight feet in the air. Well, you know, Lynn is the killer. We know this. She is rather tall, and her oilskin coat has kind of a peaked hat on it. I don't know. Maybe she climbed the tree. Maybe. To look down on Fiona. Fiona's getting her keys out. Gets knifed. Yep. Repeatedly. And then dumped in Cheney's field with a rose in her mouth. Where Monty and Mary Pierce can find him. How many old ladies out on walks with dogs have we found bodies with now? Quite a few. Yeah. Garden of Death is at least one. Yeah. It's either an old lady or the housekeeper. Yeah. Pretty much who find the bodies. This is a Cully episode as well. Okay, first of all, we have to deal with this new kitchen. (laughs) It's nice. It is by far the best kitchen we've seen yet. What I don't understand is Joyce hands Tom a bowl of cereal first. Which is either bran flakes or shredded wheat, because those are the two boxes of cereal. Then she brings him a full English. Yes, which he doesn't touch at all. But it actually looks edible. Yes, it does. I don't know why. And when he says he doesn't want it, she looks at it like, huh. She's got bread, eggs, and tomatoes out, and orange juice. She's doing it up. I want to go to Joyce's for breakfast. Apparently, she can make breakfast. It's just the other meal she has trouble with. I think it's because of this. In the old kitchen, she had recipes on the doors. And now that she doesn't have recipes on the door, she can actually concentrate on cooking food. Oh, those were bad recipes distracting her? Is that I it? Guess. Giving her bad ideas? I guess. Like Cully. pork and, and stewed grapes? Ugh. Yeah. Now, Cully is problematic in this episode for a couple of reasons. When one, is she not problematic? One, she doesn't live with them. No, she, she lives, lives across town. Across town, and she's been doing temp work. Mm-hmm. Who is paying for Cully's car? Who is paying for Cully's apartment? Barnaby is is funding this entire operation. You think so? I think we're supposed to assume that she's making enough to support herself. She's not rolling in it, but she's making enough. This is another one of those great episodes where you never know how far Coston is from the town. Never. It could because, be five miles. It could be 50 miles. Does Cully live in Coston or in Midsummer Mallow? That's a good question, because yeah. when she's with Scott showing him an apartment, she says she lives on the other side of town. And is that Coston or Midsummer Mallow? Yeah, we don't really know. But apparently it's close enough that she can be there for breakfast time. Yes. It's 10 years after high school for Cully. She wants to have a reunion with her friends. Why? Oh. I there, don't understand why. There is a bigger why question. The bigger why question is behind Tom, there is a light switch in the middle of the wall. <laughs> Why on earth would you put a light switch in the middle of a wall? You mean like right, not right inside the door? No, no, not right inside the door. Like over here, we have a light switch that's right inside the door. No, no, it's in the middle. It's easily four feet away from anything. (laughs) Why would you put 
And it's not it's not like it's under a counter or something. It's a big wall that's flat. It's blue. It's got no pictures on it. Bang. Light wall, switch. Light switch with two switches on it. I don't know. It drives me insane. Poor design yep. to make Mark crazy. Yes. And this kitchen is a full actual kitchen because in they do flip the cameras around in the set in a, a later shot. When they are, are sitting at the table there, there's like a, like, it's not a set. Yeah, it's, it's not a, a real set. kitchen in a yeah, real house. It's never a set on Midsummer. Yeah. It's yeah. always a real space. Yep. Whoever decided on the camera angles for this episode definitely likes kitchens because later the camera pretends it's a spice rack. It does indeed. Cully's going to organize this school reunion for her and her four friends because they promised they would get together and celebrate. And okay. Celebrate what? We're still alive 10 years later? Again, let's... Let's be generous and say Costin has 25,000 people in it. Mm. And that's going to be incredibly generous. Yeah. You would run into these people long before this. I would think so. I mean, maybe not Rachel because she doesn't leave the house, but Lynn for sure. I go, I teach at a small school. We only have 200 students and I run into them everywhere. All the time. So All the time. Never mind. These friends are not worth reunioning with. No. Oh, gosh, no. Nobody wants to see them. Scott shows up. Of course, he's late because of trains and delays and everything else. Yes. Um, he has attitude right off the bat, and he has no place to live. So Tom asks him if he's going to stay in the section house. Yeah, okay. So a section house to me is a railway thing. No, a section house is like a dorm for policemen. Yeah, in Canada and the U.S., a section house is a railway thing. In the UK, it's a policeman thing. But either way, it's kind of a, a dorm for, for workers. Well, the section house for railways are notorious for young men who work on the railway, who drink a lot and party a lot. Well, so I did a little research into the section housing in the UK, and I can tell you that did not happen there. Okay. Because until the 70s, every section house had a matron. Oh, okay. So my brother who worked on the railroad for years and years and years, did electrician stuff for the railroad, lived in section houses for a while, and then was like, I'm never living in those places again. <laughs> they well, had no matrons there. They haven't been great in the UK either. I, I read a, a speech in front of Parliament from the 1930s. In the 30s, where some lord or other was saying that they needed to be reformed, simp- not because they were places of ill repute, but because he felt like they weren't up to the quality of the world's best police force. And these men, boys, really, most of them, were so young, they deserved better living conditions. And then I I went on to read that they had married housing, too. So if you were a constable or a sergeant, you qualified to live in section housing. If you were married, but once you had a child, they sort of encouraged you to get out. That's weird. Like. Why wouldn't Scott stay there then? Probably because it's like living in a dorm. I guess. Even a good dorm or a barracks, kind of. You know, even if you had your own like room, it's not having your own place. I can understand why he wouldn't want yeah, to. Plus, I can see that. he's from the big city, remember? He's oh, not going to want to live in the section he house with the a yokels. city boy from the <laughs> Met. He's not going to go live with the yokels. No. No. Fiona's body is found in Cheney's field. 
Cheney's Field, which they make this big thing. They mention the Doomsday Book. Group that runs the town events says something about Cheney's Field. And then it is forgotten forever. So it's common land, which is something we don't really have here in the U.S. No. We have federal land, and it's, it's not in the middle of town. I mean, we have parks, right? But common land is different. So common land originally was shared space where kind of people who ran smaller farms could pasture their animals, for periods of time, right? Okay. So you could take your cows out to graze there and then take them back to the barn at the end of the day. Yeah, it's a British thing. It's not a Canadian thing either. It's not um, It's not federally owned. Common land could actually be owned by one person, but because of um, British law, even if they owned it, they still had to make it accessible. Ah, uh, okay. And the people who had access to that land were called... Commoners. Commoners. Which, when you hear it today, you think commoners means, like, lowly, you know, not, not special, right? Yeah. Um, but it didn't at all. It just meant that you had access to common land, so you were a commoner. Oh. Which I thought that was kind of nice. Yeah. Do you know why the Doomsday Book is called the Doomsday Book? I, I did at one point in time, but I've forgotten why it's called the Doomsday Book. And it's not... Uh, it's not far-fetched to say that, that Cheney's Field would be in the Doomsday Book, by the way. There's lots of common land listed in the Doomsday Book. Um, but the reason why it's called the Doomsday Book, um, it was uh, basically a shore-to-shore um, -shore reckoning of the entire kingdom in for, 1086. For William the Conqueror. He wanted a list of everything, right? Yeah. And... The reason why they referred, and it wasn't actually called the Doomsday Book originally. It, it became the Doomsday Book because for the little people, when, the they, when they came around to assess what you had, it was like they were writing it down in the Book of Judgment because okay. it contained decisions about what you owned and what somebody else owned, and it was unalterable. You could not argue with it. So they just decided and that was it. So it was like the final judgment. So they oh. called it, they referred to it as Doomsday, and then it became known as the Doomsday Book. Oh. I thought that was interesting, because I'd always kind of wondered why it was called that. Like, did they think the world was going to end or something? No. It's more it of a... It was like written to the end of time. No, it's more like a, an opinion on the fact that the people who were assigned to come around and count everything and take this measurement, if, if there was any confusion over who had what, they just decided it, and that was it. And that was it. You have five cows. I have three cows. No, one of your cows is mine. No, it's not. It's written. That's it. Forever. Yep. <laughs> well, and half the, well, more than half of the people wouldn't have understood what was writing anyway. No, they Ten, couldn't have read what was being written down. 1085, the literacy was at a super low period. Yeah. But because things like that, things like common land were written down then, and it was the final judgment, those things still stay common. They are yes. still common to this day, a lot of them, right? That's interesting. Some of them have been fenced and sold and whatever, but it's, uh, it's kind of like that. Um, the ramblers always going, about, uh, uh, going on about their rights to ramble in certain areas. It's because those were common land. Well, we've lost PC Angel, but I have a new friend. <laughs> WPC. Yeah, that's all she is. That's all she is. She's played by Alex Belcourt. She gets because she is the quintessential WPC. And she gets a speaking part. She does pretty good. Yeah, she's all right. 
uh, the the men with white sticks have now upgraded to yellow sticks. They poke with the yellow sticks. They find the stuff. She's got a rose stuffed in her mouth. Fiona does a really good dead body here, except for the two <laughs> shots of the dead body are she's moved between them. She's repositioned. Yeah. Yeah. She's not moving. No, she's not moving. Not like Charles Rust. But there's inconsistency between the, the positions in the two shots. Yeah. Somebody was not working continuity in those days. <laughs> we have this, we have two kind of groups in this episode. We've got the old people who are the Midsummer Mallow Residents Association. Yes. And the young people who are Cully and her friends. Yes. Right? And they're all despicable people. Yes. Mary, Donald, Shirley, and Charles are the Midsummer Mallow Residents Association. Yes. The MMRA. So I like to just call them Mumra. Mumra. <laughs> like from He-Man. Yes. Yeah. They're all the old people who planned the Spanish night. Yes. And they, and Fiona, okay. You, you grew up in a small town that probably had some kind of residence association or village ca- town Absolutely. council. Absolutely. My father right? was a Reeve. Yeah. So Fiona was part of this association. Yes. And they voted her off. Yes. But she wouldn't go. Yes. What does that mean? Does that mean she just kept showing up to meetings? Just kept showing up to meetings and events. Wouldn't they just ignore her vote? I don't know. Like the whole, we shouldn't have wished her dead. It's sad. We shouldn't dance on her grave. That whole thing is just red herrings all over it. You don't actually talk about people like that. You don't? Well, I have people that I have difficulties with, but I never <laughs> wish them dead. Well, if you vote them off your committee and they just keep appearing, I don't know. You might say F off and die. Could be. <laughs> I would have. Charles Rust would never say F off. <laughs> no. 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 He's too fancy for that. Yes. Donald is rolling up a sign and I'm off because the sign is in taco modern font. I remember that font. So this font was, okay, if you don't know, (laughs) this font was everywhere for a while. It was one of the most overused fonts that there was. If it was beachy or Mexican or Spanish, it was taco modern. Taco modern. But, you know, I'm not surprised that the that Mumra uses Taco Modern in their sign. Now. They're not sophisticated. It says Spanish Night on the sign. Mm-hmm. The mixture of capital letters and lowercase letters is infuriating. <laughs> half of the letters are uppercase. Half of the letters are lowercase. It makes no sense as to what is uppercase and lowercase. Okay, but that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to weird signage in this episode, okay? Cactus Jack. Anything else you need to say? Why is Cactus Jack not in Taco Modern? Because it's in that (laughs) squirrely, spirally cactus font instead. Why do you buy it, Cactus Jacks? You buy cacti. No, you buy margaritas and tacos. (laughs) Now that's racist. No! <laughs> cactus Jacks, if I drive into town and I see a sign that has Cactus Jacks on it, I know I'm going to go into that place and get a margarita and a taco. Yeah, but not if you see his booth at the garden fair. What the hell is he doing at the garden fair? Selling cacti. Oh my gosh. Cactus <laughs> Jacks. It's not even Jack's Cactus. Just, if you didn't, just spend 30 seconds look, 
looking at the booth signs at the garden fair later at the oh. garden competition because they are fantastic. It says like cake. Okay. <laughs> Next to Cactus Jack. Also, they clean up from the Spanish night twice. No, the night, the same night of the Spanish night, they sweep and get rid of trash. Yes. The next day, they actually clean up the rest, put away the tables and oh, chairs. Why didn't they do it all on the same night? Because it was late. I don't care. And somebody, do it. Somebody was dead. Uh, they didn't know that. They didn't know that. Uh, in the background on Spanish night, you can see it for one shot, is a very tiny uh, head of a bull. Oh. Like on a plaque. Why did somebody bother to bring that? I don't know. It's tiny. Everybody it's, had to make a contribution it, to Spanish Night. It's like about the size of a football. <laughs> and it's on a little plaque. It's in the background. You see it once. That's the tiniest bull ever. It's, it's a wee bull. It's like an Astrakhan bull. Yes. It was probably Astrakhan. <laughs> but bulls, bulls aren't born with horns. <laughs> Ow, that would be bad. <laughs> Uh, so you brought up uh, Charles Rust, who's our favorite member of the Residents Association. Oh, my God. Charles Rust. He's played by John Standing, or uh, Lord John Standing. He's a fourth baronet. He was John Aaron in Game of Thrones. Yes, he was. He was alive for one episode. He managed to be alive for one episode. But I think he's the first death that we see where they put the stones on their eyes. Yes. Which is creepy. Yeah. He's in... He's in... He is in Game of Thrones to appear in the IMDb list. Yes. That's it. He is like the first thing that happened. Yes. So he's a fourth baronet. Um, his, his family goes way back. Uh, as a matter of fact, they used to own the land that Bletchley Park, uh, that became Bletchley Park during World War II. By the way, if you haven't watched Bletchley Circle... That's a fine you should definitely mini go watch series it. Yeah. about women who worked at Bletchley Park and great stories about women, especially in the 50s in Britain. And then they there's a Bletchley Park, San Francisco. It sounds weird that they go to San Francisco. It totally works. But it totally works, and it's also very, very good. He's also in the Dogleg Murders in 2009. Yes. He was in two episodes of Murder, she wrote. Wow. He, uh, I don't know how to describe this. Your mom doesn't listen, right? No. Okay. Um, he was in a movie in 2006 called Rabbit Fever. Okay. That is a fictionalized account uh, of the impact of women's addiction to the rabbit vibrator. Oh. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> He's also a painter. He's had lots of great exhibitions, and in fact, his paintings are quite pretty. Oh, I think he's probably a cool guy. Yeah, he gets lots of work. So. Yeah, and, and he was willing to be in that movie, so. Rabbit fever. I'm not going to recommend it. Just saying. No, we're not going to watch it while the kids are around. <laughs> They've got to be in another state. So they interview her husband, and it's just like, whatever. Cheney's Field, blah, blah, blah. Who, Gary? Yeah. Yeah. Gary is like such a nobody in this whole episode. He is in this scene and he's sad at another point. He's played by Michael Simpkins mm -hmm. and, and he's been in everything. Well, yeah, he's been in so much. Um, but the interesting thing about Michael Simpkins is that he's married to Julia Deacon. Um, and if you don't know who Julia Deacon is, you might recognize her as Marsha the Landlady on Spaced. 
Oh, okay. She plays that character. Again, another great British show. If you haven't seen Spaced, if you like Shaun of the Dead, Spaced is a sitcom by the same people. But earlier. But earlier. And really, they're trying out the jokes that they use in Shaun of the Dead, both visually and thematically. But she's incredibly funny. Yes. She's super super funny. Everybody on that show is crazy funny. Um, And Michael Simpkins in other roles is very funny, too. Yes. This is... It's not. I don't think it's a role meant for him, except for the one broody face that he makes. Yeah, he's broody McBrooderston. Yeah, Charles's house. Let's talk about that. Okay. Because we know we're going to have the open garden day. Yep. And Charles is very proud of his garden. Yes. Every and time we see him at home, you know, he's out there with his gloves on. I'm not a gardening guy, but his garden isn't horrible. No, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's very well done. Yeah. There's no hanging baskets or troughs. I'm not sure why he's won the award for frontage. Yeah. Because a, his backyard is where it's really pretty. There, There's some problems with the front of his house. Here's where I need our listeners' help. Yes, we do need help. Because here. maybe I'm imagining this. Yes. When Charles goes from his backyard to his front yard, the first time we see him, he comes out of the gate. He walks across a little kind of causeway to the street. Yeah. And then over to his front door and between the street and his front door is a little bridge as if there's like a tiny canal or creek or something. Like running along the front of his property. That's right in front of his property. So there's the street. The The ditch and his door. And then like a wall. Yeah. And so he has a little bridge that goes to his door. Yeah. And I could swear that that house is in another episode. I don't remember. I, I, I have an inkling of... People going across a bridge to a house, but that's all I got. In my mind, it is that house, and the person who lives there has garden gnomes. Maybe I'm imagining it, but if any listeners remember, if you know what I'm talking about, let us know, because it's been bugging me. And short of just speed watching every episode from here on out, I can't remember which house it's in. And, And I tried to find out. I Googled out the wazoo. And all I learned was that some really ticked off villagers in the UK have started digging trenches around their garden greens to keep travelers from being able to bring their trailers onto the green. Travelers. They ruin midsummer episodes and the village green. Apparently, they would rather have these giant, like, it looks like a tank has torn up a track around the village just to prevent a trailer from being able to roll into the green. But if that house is in another episode, please, somebody tell me, because it's it's bugging me. We find out that Cully's friends, two of them, live on a farm, and we find out that... uh, Cassie and Noel. Scott is going to live, is going to stay at Barnaby's house overnight. And Joyce has Waitrose Organic Plain Wholemeal Flour. (laughs) It's like an advertisement for it. Yeah, they do kind of feature it, don't they? So this is a new house, though nobody mentions it. Not only do they have a nice kitchen, they apparently have three floors. Three floors. Because Joyce and Tom go up the stairs to the linen closet, and there's another stairway going up. Not a ladder, a stairway. It's pretty nice. They moved up in the world, eh? Now, I'm going to say something here. It's probably not that nice. But Cully kind of has gorilla arms in this this part here. She's... She's got some dark hair on her arms. And some women I'm not do. saying I'm not saying it's wrong or she should do anything about it. She should celebrate it completely. 
but it took me back. Like I was like, <laughs> whoa! <laughs> I just had not noticed it before. She's very fair. Now, now I'm going to be watching Cully's arms. <laughs> you gonna be looking for gorilla arms? Yeah. Well, she wears that boat neck top the whole like the whole, the whole first half of the episode, yeah. like several days in a row. She's wearing that boat neck top. It's going to start to smell soon. I like boat neck tops. But. Well, I like boat neck tops too, but I like people who change their clothes on a daily basis. Did you just say boat tube tops? Boat, <laughs> boat tube tops. Boat shaped tube tops. That would be kind of weird. Donald eventually admits that Charles threatened Fiona in some way and that he, Donald, heard a squeaky noise that night. Yes. When and he was out in the so, car park having a smoke. So the odd job man has a squeaky cart. Uh, Charles's Charles Russ gate is, is squeaky. squeaky, and his his wheelbarrow is squeaky too. And Rachel's baby stroller is squeaky. We'll get to Rachel's baby stroller. But those are, and oh. somebody online suggested it could have been the ice cream cart too. Yes, the ice cream cart could have been squeaky too. <laughs> Let's hope the ice cream cart doesn't run into Cactus Jack. <laughs> Just have this idea of of Jacob, the odd job man, actually pushing around the ice cream cart like, you want some vanilla? I can sharpen my knife for you. <laughs> no, thank you, sir. So we have a mystery. Mm. The mystery is, where is Jacko? Did you see this? No. On the sign outside of the post office where Cully and Scott talk about where she lives. Because his apartment is above no, no, the newspaper that, shop. No, no, before that, before he has okay. an apartment, he's, he's looking around. There's a, built, a message board there, and one of the things says, learn salsa, which obviously this little town is a little in love with salsa. Mm-hmm. Salsa. Salsa. But also, lost Jacko. And they're offering a reward. It's so gotta be a dog. If you know where Jacko is, there's a reward in Midsummer Mallow. <laughs> it's gotta be a dog. Jacko. Cassie and Noel have a dairy farm. Whoa. Okay. In my notes, all in capital letters, is the following phrase This farm is all wrong. <laughs> Well, and it's not the first time we've seen a dairy farm that was like miraculous on a midsummer, right? They at least tried with the other dairy. We had farm. the UFO speed milking episode. Yes. And now we have the free range cows and chickens wandering around farm. Okay. You don't put cows in with chickens where there's no fence for the following reasons. The cows will step on the chickens and kill them. Mm-hmm. Okay. The cows will leave the area. They'll just wander They'll away. They'll just wander away looking for something to eat. And most importantly, that is not how you care for or direct or look after dairy cows. You have to be very careful where you put dairy cows because you don't want to be chasing cows to milk them. And you also don't want them to get anything that might poison their milk, right? If no. they eat something that no, they shouldn't. You, you want to take care of very care, close care and attention of them. And don't leave them in chicken stepping areas. This is a multi-million dollar farm. That's the other problem. It's like, beautiful brick yep. buildings, thatch roofs, tile roofs. It's gorgeous. Two people are running it. No way, no how. No. No way, no. No. Noel, Noel could never keep up with that. <laughs> Even weirder in terms of valuable homes are Lynn and Matthew Spearman's home. Okay. Grove House. So Lynn is our killer. Yes. Who, and Sarah disagrees with me here, 
but I feel like halfway through the episode, they went, wait a minute, let's make Lynn the killer. Because the first half of the episode, she appears to be incredibly afraid of what's going on. See, I think she's putting on an act. I don't think she's that good of an actress. I think she's been a malicious bitch since she was five. Oh, she is not. Getting exactly what she wants. She is heck on wheels, man. They live in this beautiful house, which just has some weird things in it. Her husband, Matthew, comes down the hallway. Don't you mean Jerry Curl Matthew? (laughs) If that's a piece, it's a bad piece. His hair is... He's walking down the hallway with Tom and Scott behind him, looking for Lynn, and there's a a row of coat hooks along the wall. Yes. And on those hooks is a gong mallet. Well, just in case a gong comes to the door. You got a mallet. You're ready. You got to hit it. There could be a gong. It's just not in shot. Yeah. Bang a gong, get it on. Well, speaking of getting it on... As soon as she walks down those stairs, Scott is like licking the floor. Yeah. He's not good at hiding the fact that he finds somebody attractive. No. Because, you know, in the big city, in the smoke, you, you got to make it clear. You got to be direct. That's right. Because of the fog and stuff. He's like, <laughs> when she's looking at herself in the mirror and her back's turned to them and she's showing off that she's got nothing on under that. He's just like, staring at Scott her Scott is like licking his lips. like mm. He should be looking behind him at the most... Well, no, second biggest flower arrangement in Midsummer. You know, I love my wife. I absolutely love my wife because she said, that's the second biggest flower arrangement in Midsummer. I'm like, that's a direct quote from my notes. Because <laughs> the biggest one is in Dead Man's 11. Dead Man's 11 in the dining room. At the very end, there's that giant dried flower arrangement. Yes, that's in the show notes for that episode. This time, it's an entire fireplace full of flower arrangement. It's just so many flowers. Because, you know, you move into the beautiful home. And you think, what are we going to do with that fireplace? The descending farmyard prince, including the world's fattest cow. Yeah, I like that fat cow. When Lynn comes down the stairs, we see the fat cow. Fat cow. Yeah. They had hired um, the odd job guy to wash the windows once, but when Matthew refused to pay him because he didn't finish it or do a good job, he got a bit bullshy with him. Bullshy. That's a reference to Bolsheviks, right? Yes, because he was upset because he wasn't being paid by the boss. Oh, he was going to start a revolution. I guess so. He's a bit bullshy. No, he's just going to burn to death in his wheelbarrow. Yep. Okay. No, I have another problem here. Go ahead. Lynn's sunglasses. (laughs) <laughs> they have clear lenses in them mm-hmm. what? <laughs> what are they there for? Fashion They're white They don't go with their outfit She just flings them around Fashion It's just horrible They're an emphasis accessory Like her scarf Oh. So let's talk about what bothers us because now we get to the scenes where Kali starts meeting up with her old friends. Yes. And she goes to the pub and Lynn and Cassie meet her there. And they talk about Rachel. Ominously. Rachel. Troublesomely. Rachel. As if Rachel. there's a big secret they're keeping. They suck at that. Is it Rachel's awful hair? Her headband? Yes. For three years... They have been hiding the fact that the baby that Rachel is raising is actually Lynn's. It's like they're talking in pig Latin. 
It's like baby nay in nay Rachel a aka a Lin a. Like no one knows. No one knows. Like they could not make it more suspicious if they tried. And you'd think after three years, they'd be a little bit better at that. You would think. They would say, you know what? Rachel lives a very secluded life. She's very happy that way. Don't bother her. Yeah. Because, I don't know, she has an anxiety she disorder. Has, or she she's, is a baby. She's kind of embarrassed about the whole situation. No, because that would just make Kelly want to go see yeah, her. That's true. Just She prefers to just be her and her daughter, and that's what makes her happy. And there would be no value to, to bugging her. You would only bring her problems. Leave and her alone. I, and I think Cully would actually understand that. She might respect that. But instead, they're like, what? There's nothing weird about Rachel and the fact that no one sees her and she's different and secret and don't see her it's ever. It's like and- Cully's going to start looking around because they're playing the weird music. Yeah, like they're looking over her shoulder going, nothing's behind you but Rachel. Yeah. Like, she can't not go find out now. Though, I don't imagine Rachel was that much different when she was younger. She's not a person who you're like, oh, but I really want to reconnect with her because she was so awesome. None of them are. They're horrible people. They are. Including Noel. And I have problems with Noel. Cassie and Noel are the best of the bunch, and they aren't great. No. I really dislike Cassie and Noel. Kali just bad at making friends? Like, Lynn is a murderer. Yes. Okay. So she's bad. Rachel yeah. is horrible. Yes. She's bad. But the fact that Cassie and Noel have anything to do with them, and the fact that Noel is like this weird, he was in a relationship with Cully, but he calls her little Cully Barnaby. Even though he's he was younger. younger than her. It's, it's just so weird. Well, and the fact that he's Lily's dad, and he doesn't say, wait, yeah. you're not going to hide who this kid is. He never goes to visit Lily at all in this episode. No. He is the shite dad of the year. He says he does try to. Yeah. But he has rights. Yeah. He should have stood up for them. Yeah. Absolutely. So none of them are redeemable. I don't know why Cully is so infatuated with going to see them. Or buying them a doll at the strange doll shop. Ugh. It's it's a... Place full of creepy dolls. It should have been called the creepy doll shop that how is it ever staying alive? Yeah. And and in the time probably prior to big internet sales, like Shirley's store would stay afloat if she could sell her dolls online to collectors, maybe. Maybe. But that's not the scenario we're in. The odd job man eats an apple ominously. (laughs) He has a lockup. Yeah. And Tom and Scott go there and... Tom can't seem to control himself. He has to sharpen a knife. And there's sparks. I watched it. They're not real. Maybe 20 times. They're not real. They're not real. No, they're the wrong color. They're like purple. Yeah, the sparks are not real. I don't don't know why that scene is there. They don't find anything. No. They don't. That scene doesn't need to be there. But Charles Rust's house has to be there because it's a goldmine of interesting things. (laughs) It is, isn't it? Including his grocery list. Well, let's talk about his house because it used to be the master's house, the school master's house. So it has a bell on the outside. And it used to be Ronald's. Yes. Right? So we kind of learn that at some point that house was sold out from under, under Ronald 
and that if Mary's husband had still been alive, it would have been a historically listed building and Charles would not have been able to buy it. And that's, strangely enough, like the plot in the Dog Lane Murders. There's a part in the Dog Lane Murders about some guy wanting the other guy's house. Yeah. So Charles is well settled into the master's house. He loves that house. Including the bell and the chalkboard. Yes. And on that chalkboard is his grocery list. First of all, it says, call Jay at 8 a.m. It's not just a grocery list. It's like a to-do list and a grocery list. Wait, who is Jay? I don't know. And why are we calling them at 8 p.m.? I don't know. Maybe that's who he called to arrange the posters for the garden. Maybe, because we never know who that is either. No. Maybe he's calling Jacob. Maybe. Because the odd job guy has a cell phone. No, he doesn't. No. No. That's not who it is. It's a weird grocery list. So Stilton, okay. Mm. Spaghetti, Mm -hmm. okay. Milk, Mm -hmm. coffee, Mm -hmm. green beans, Mm -hmm. okay. Malt whiskey, okay. It's circled. It's important. Don't know why. And three red. (laughs) Three red onions, three red delicious apples, apples, three red peppers. Maybe it's code. Three red. Isn't there a cider named red? No. But it's like, you know, the eagle flies at midnight, three red. And then on the other side is a weird to-do list. Weed killer. Okay. Grass seed. Mm -hmm. Okay. Paper. Mm -hmm. Just paper. (laughs) Check bank. It's still there. Check. It's underlined. That's a bank. Check. Cut keys. Okay. And finish lawn. (laughs) For a guy who sits at a desk with a ton of paperwork, he's not very good at the to-do list. No, and why is it in the kitchen? It's not like he has somebody else there in the in the house. It's not like he stands in the kitchen and goes, what am I going to do today over there? Three red. That's what I'm going to do today. Three red. <laughs> oh, and it's full of his garden awards, certificates. Including the Midsummer Mallow in Bloom Awards for 2002, 2001, and 2000. But on top of the chest is the Midsummer Mallow in Bloom Award for 1999. That's kind of an outlier, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know why it's on top of the thing with the chairman's cups, but yeah. He's fancy. He is. He used to be the village doctor until he retired, and Fiona was his receptionist. You know what the hobby of people in Midsummer Mallow is? Hmm. To do shit with knives. They do like knives, don't they? Everybody's got a knife. Shirley's cutting the cake. With the knife. Noel's cutting the uh, the mushrooms with a knife that is not for cutting mushrooms. No, he's using like a carving knife to cut mushrooms. I don't it's get just it. wrong. It's because we need to see the red herrings of knives. There's a cribbage game in which they refer to cribbage correctly and use matches as cribbage sticks and is never spoken of again. Well, because that's what old people do on a dark, stormy night. Donald and Mary sit and they play cribbage. My parents play cribbage, so... But they had, my parents had this awesome thing, right? So a cribbage table is... is The board. The board is usually about a foot long, Mm -hmm. maybe three inches wide. It has a winding path that you move your little... That's how you keep score. Keep score, right? My parents had a giant one. It was three feet long and had its own legs. (laughs) It was fantastic. (laughs) They played cribbage a lot. Did you put it next to the table or on the table? Uh, They put it next to the table. They could play cards on it. 
Oh my gosh, that's hardcore cribbage. That's hardcore cribbage. Charles is so fussy about everything. He even polishes the bell wearing yellow gloves, and yet he doesn't oil his gate. No. Three red. And I realize that some people joke about, well, I don't oil the gate because I like to hear when someone's coming. Yes. But it's not in front of his front door. No. It's in his backyard. Yeah. So he should oil it. It would be befitting his personality. Well, he's got quite a mess later on. Yeah, he does. It's garden day. And my first note under garden day is jaunty squirrel bush. (laughs) That's one heck of a topiary. There's a guy walking through the garden day that has this squirrel. It's obviously a squirrel. It's a topiary. And the squirrel looks like it's dancing. It's great. It's absolutely fantastic, but it is pure midsummer weirdness. The village is also full of people who apparently like to huff marigolds. Yeah. Have you ever smelled a marigold? Uh, no. They smell like armpit. They do. They're pretty. They smell like armpit. And yet here, people are shoving them up their noses. Yeah. Booths include uh, cake, pure ice cream, (laughs) and cactus jack. Pure ice cream. It's unadulterated ice cream. It's pure. You know, that other stand, it's 50% rocks, 50% ice cream. No, Mine's pure ice cream. Pure ice. Don't go to Cactus Jack for ice cream. (laughs) You don't want to lick a cactus. It says cake stall. That's what the sign says. Yeah, that's where Shirley hangs out with her big knife. And her Victoria sponge. But apparently no that forks. Noel just puts his hands in. And I'm like, well, this is yours now, yeah. Noel. Because God forbid. No forks. What dairy cow utter crap do you have on that? Oh, God. He does that and I just about scream. He may as well just kind of like lean down and lick it. <laughs> Thanks. Speaking of ominous things, I have something planned for later. Yeah. Cassie. Oh, let's just talk about it. Okay. Let's just get it out of the way. Let's let's get it out of the way and then we'll deal with Charles and all the Lynn problems. Yes. So the thing she has planned is... A picnic. A picnic from hell. And Rachel's finally going to appear. Yes. Right? That's nice. I have in my notes, it says, a picnic by the river. I hate this scene. And Noel has packed quite the picnic. He's got two whole picnic baskets full of containers. They've got wine. They've got finger foods. Because he eats with his fingers, apparently. And Lynn arrives late, covered completely with blood. No. Oh, damn. Okay. (laughs) She should, but she Part of the problem. Okay. So Rachel is rude. From the second she appears, she's disruptive. I don't go into town. She's crass. Yes. She's mean. Yes. Unpleasant. Let's go swimming. And yet only Cully seems to be bothered by it. Yes. Oh, it's just so many things wrong with this. I don't like how it's written. I don't like... I know it's meant to make you feel uncomfortable, but it makes me feel too uncomfortable. It makes me angry. I 
I'm so Noel and Cassie jump in. It, Rachel says, hey, let's go for a swim. And they're like, oh, that's so funny. And she has a bathing suit on. I No, she doesn't. You say she doesn't, she but doesn't. I think She's she has a She's got a camisole suit. and a bra and some like bike shorts underneath whatever she had on. Anyway, or no, no, they're just pedal pushers or pants. Yeah. So Noel and Cassie get in the water. Brother and sister splashing around. Ha, ha, ha. Which we've had problems with brothers and sisters on Rachel the show Rachel grabs Lynn and physically drags her yes. into the water. Which is probably good because Lynn's covered in blood and it would get all it the blood. It would rinse it off. Maybe yeah. that's why. Yeah. Lynn no. is not happy about this and slaps Rachel. Just right in the face. Right? So now they're fighting. Actually fighting. What are Cassie and Noel doing? Laughing. Laughing. Which is wrong and weird. Oh. Cully, stop it. Stop it. You're just going to tell them to stop and they're going to stop fighting? Well, and then she goes in the water. To break up the fight. But, okay. And then they turn on her. I might be a coward, but I would look at that situation and go, I'm getting back in Gertie and going back to town. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. They're not going to drown. They're in like waist high water when they're fighting. No. I'm I'm out. I'm like, these people are weirdos. I'm out. Yeah. But not Cully. She has to save the day. So she goes in and they start to try to kill her. Rachel. Yes. Holds her underwater. And so in the meantime, Charles Scott has been killed. And Joyce, rightly so, is worried because she doesn't know where Cully is. Right. And they send the least likely person to go find her because he has no idea where anything is. Hey, Scott says, I'll go. He does say, I'll That's go. That's good. Scott gets a bum rap in this episode. Mm-hmm. He finds the odd job man. Yep. He, ha- he saves Cully. He gets an apartment that he is a big mess. He doesn't make a, fig- a thing about it. He's like, this is where I'm living. You know, in my memory of having previously watched it, I also thought he saved Cully. He doesn't. She's up above the water when he gets in. Yeah. Now, he does haul her out of there and help her. And doesn't arrest them. But they don't seem to mind that Rachel just tried to drown her. No, they don't seem to mind. It's like all in fun. It's just weird. Oh, it's horrible. And... My least favorite midsummer scene. When I think about this episode, I just see Rachel holding her under and all uh, of them laughing. I grew up near a lake in the summers. My parents went to a lake every summer and I saw kids bully other kids and was bullied exactly like this. It is it's chills down my back. Yeah. Upsetting. <sighs> We're sorry. Okay. It's not fun. Now we're through that. You know what's more fun than that? Talking about Charles. Charles is dead and has an apple in his mouth. Yeah. (laughs) It's sad when a murder victim is cheerier than the bullying. But unfortunately, his politics of investing article is ruined now. So he shows the judges around his backyard. He's... You know, charming, gives the ladies roses as they leave. And apparently, as soon as the judges are done with his yard, he's in working on paperwork. Yep, paperwork. I got stuff to do. I'm a retired uh, GP, so I got paperwork to do. So Lynn is late for the picnic because she's here killing Charles. Yes. She comes into his room behind him with the knife while he's working on the paperwork. Wearing the ankle-length black oilskin coat. 
Yes. How does she get in there? Okay. How does she get in there is a problem. How it, does the whole village not see her skulking around wearing that coat? I thought of another problem today. Okay. So we have the oil skin coat, right? She kills Fiona with the oil skin coat on, I guess, um, stilts, right? Okay. Well, yeah. She was high up in the bush, but okay. not when she killed her. When she killed Fiona. She does drag her halfway across the village to put her in the field, though. There's lots of blood, and she drags her halfway across the village, mm-hmm. right? So the coat has some blood on it now. She might have cleaned it. Where does she keep the coat? <laughs> Where does she keep the coat? And does she clean it? I'm, she must. She must. But, like, I guess she keeps it in the back of the convertible. <laughs> Just in case. Just in case I start to kill again. She keeps a knife in the, in the coat in the back of the car. Now, this is also missing a key thing here, right? She kills Fiona because Fiona attempts to blackmail her. Yes. Right? Charles Rust is annoying. He's arrogant. He's fatuous. He's vapid. He's horrible. But he never hints that he's going to tell anybody. Ever hints he's going to tell anybody. So Lynn just goes spreckedly crazy Mm -hmm. and starts to kill everybody involved. That person went to Charles's... GP office. I'll have to kill them too. Why doesn't she kill Cassie, Noel, and, and you know all of her friends? Because they Rachel. know about Rachel. Oh, wait a minute. So it was Russ. That's why she kills Fiona and Charles. Oh, it's just really Cassie and Noel should be next. Yeah. No. It's well anyway. Because what does she have to lose if people find out that the baby is hers and Rachel has been raising it for three years? Yeah, what does she have to lose? Is Matthew going to get upset? Matthew's going to be like, whatever, I'm going to town. He doesn't care. I love when he says he's going to town. I'm like, (laughs) right on. You go, boy. (laughs) You get out of there. (laughs) All of our married lady listeners or married women who have partners are going to agree with me. We were talking about this last night about Lynn is going to go and kill Charles. She knows she's going to go kill Charles, but... Matthew is there in the house. And Matthew, would you like to go with me and kill Charles? Where are you going? And she says, I'm going to go out and see some friends. You're welcome to go with me. And if she knew she was going to go kill Charles, why does she invite Matthew to go? That was my question. It's all in the way she does it. Oh, I. Because if I come to you and I've already got my purse and my keys and my coat on, and I tell you I'm going to run somewhere. I'm clearly almost out the door. Do you want to come? Yeah. <laughs> she knows he's not going to say yes. I know. I know she knows. So there's no well, he's danger. he's got snail trails to deal with. <laughs> and well, he's got to kick pensioners out of his garden. Yes. It's never been open. Then put a sign up that it says. It never will be this open. This garden is not part of the tour. That's all you have to do is put up a little sign. Yeah, but then you can't shove pensioners. Okay. That's no fun. Uh, Scott and Bar- uh, Cully miraculously dry off. Mm-hmm. Like, so fast. Well, Cully changes clothes. But, Scott, but Scott's pants are insta-dry. Yeah, they're insta-dry pants. Yeah. That's awesome for him, though. It's handy. The landlord's in a scene where he talks about Jacob's stroke, and that's it. <laughs> 
Again, whenever I see somebody with a tiny little part like that, I think they want a contest. Oh, the people who are the judges for the flower day, they want a contest. <laughs> like you can win a walk-on part in a midsummer if you buy 50 million boxes of Post Toasties. If you almost kill me in a river by drowning me, I need to stop by your house and tell you that I'm sorry. What are you, Canadian? (laughs) (sighs) Cully, 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 cully. She does not pick good friends. No. And she's just got a little bit of meddler in her. She can't help it. We find the odd job guy and burned to death in his cart with the doll. Yeah. Which Cully bought for Lily, Rachel's daughter. But didn't give to Rachel's daughter, instead gave to Noel, who gave to Lynn, who decided that it would be funny to put it in the wheelbarrow and burn it with the odd job man. Why did she kill the odd job man? Because he doesn't threaten to blackmail anyone. Because she has a sense of humor, but Matthew doesn't. Like that, you think that's funny? That's not a sense of humor. (laughs) Great. You're psycho. The odd job man has a squeaky cart, and it might have been him on the road. He might have seen her kill Fiona. That's why she has to kill him. Speaking of Scott, he does his freak out really well here. (laughs) He's had enough. (laughs) Barnaby's like, do you intend to stay? And he's like, I just got here. There's murders all over the place. And I don't. I haven't even had time to find out where the post office is. And you were at the post office earlier. Sorry. You kind of live above the post office. Kind of, but you know. But then he does the right thing here, and he says, can I buy you breakfast? Yep. And Tom says, yes. Scott knows when to turn on the charm. Yep. My favorite Scott line from this episode is, where I'm from, open garden day is when someone breaks into your shed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he uses that, like, later in Orcus Fatalis when he breaks into the the safe. Yeah. It's kind of, like, implied that uh, maybe Dan Scott had some... Bad times in his early years. So we get this picture of Rachel and Lily's life as one that's in the dark. Yeah. Like she she and Lily have to go for their walks at night. They really don't go outside except in their backyard. They live on the very edge of town on Snake's Lane. And Barnaby learns this when he goes to see her. Now, what is the line before Barnaby goes to see Rachel? Go look at those medical records. We need to see those medical Yeah, records. and so he sends Scott to do it. Okay. It's boring. We don't want need to see it. Okay. And they don't need to do it together. Okay, so Barnaby goes to Rachel's, then leaves there and meets Scott at the doll shop. Yeah. There are no medical records in any of those places. No, he's already done it. I, I want five. He did it off screen. We didn't need to see it. 20 frames of Scott looking for those records, damn it. Uh, it would have been boring. Uh, it would have been boring. But he would have been like, aha. No, he just gives him the information later. I guess. Tells him what he needs to know. Yeah. So let's get to this this last scene at Rachel's. Yes. Cully goes to see her because that's what you do when somebody tries to kill you in the afternoon. You go see them at night in their home. And the squeaking has come. But it's, it's, like the, a hor- it's like a horror movie, The Squeaking. It, it's the baby buggy, though. It's, it's the pram. It's the stroller. What does Barnaby call it? The wheel kid carrier? The baby some- transporter or something. Some crazy thing. <laughs> I'm like, it's a pram, man. It's call a, it a pram. It's a, it's a stroller, dude. Yeah. 
And the reason that we're told that Rachel and Lily live in shadow is because Lily is a spitting image of her mother. And Rachel. if people, what did I say? No. Rachel and Rachel and Lily. Yes. No, because Lily looks too much like Lynn. So Rachel's not allowed to go out. But Lily looks like Rachel. She certainly doesn't look like Lynn. No, she doesn't look they like They should have found a little girl who was, you know, really fair haired, who looked like Cully, but without the gorilla arms. And, and I'm not going to make fun of Cully's gorilla <laughs> and arms. And then we I might have thought. I pointed at them out once. It's not a bad thing. I just was surprised. By I know. It. It, it came out but of But we have to assume then that Lynn is financially supporting Rachel. You would think. Right. And so, Keeping her in horrible headbands. So for just a second, Rachel is the victim who's doing the right thing. Because she's leaving. She's leaving she's, with Lily to give Lily a real life. Absolutely. Now, does she try to drown her friend? Yes. Is she cruel and rude? Yes. But for, for a second, you think, here's somebody who's been victimized. These other people have taken advantage of her, basically made her take this baby. And now she's taking responsibility and saying, I'm going to give this little girl a real life. We're getting out of here. Yes. But then she reverts back to type and just shoves Cully out a door. Yeah, it's just so weird. Coinkadink. But she does save Cully's life. Lynn's outside. Now, remember I, how I used to hurt you when we were small? I've been telling you <laughs> about my journey with these episodes. And we are way in the middle of a midsummer, right? We're at season seven, episode two. Some of these episodes, I don't know who the killer is. <laughs> You've forgotten, right? Before I've, you rewatch I've it. I've forgotten. So I start, and when I get to that point, I make a note in my notes. I don't know who the killer is right now. And I fast forward to the end because it's okay yeah. that I do that. Yeah. And I fast forward to the exact point where Lynn is walking across the road. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's her. <laughs> like, <laughs> now I remember. I had to watch two frames to know, oh, yeah, ooh. <laughs> yeah, when I when I first started rewatching it, I thought it's either Noel or Lynn. I can't remember. But then as as soon as Charles was killed, I, I remembered it was Lynn. Yeah. There's no question. Yeah. So yeah, Rachel Rachel's kind of horrible, but sort of a victim and sort of trying to do the right thing. And then she saves Collie's life by conking Lynn over the head. Yeah. Because that knife is at Collie's throat. Yeah. For Cull sure. Collie almost dies here. And here's a tip. If you're a murderer who skulks around in a big coat and kills people with a knife, choose a knife that actually fits into your pocket. Yes. That doesn't have a handle hanging out, shining in the moonlight, screaming, I'm a killer. I'll have you, you cow. <laughs> I like how you deliver that. I'll have you, you cow. You, you cow. You, you cow. You, you cow. <laughs> wow. I sat there and looked at that line and said, how does that properly go into grammar? <laughs> <laughs> Where do the there, commas is go? Is there a comma there? I'll have you, you cow. Lynn's <laughs> the killer. She does her weird sociopathic confession. And mm. then Cully just can't imagine canceling a dinner reservation. Because who would care? God forbid. And she's certainly not going to eat dinner by herself. No, so Scott's there, Joyce is there, and Barnaby's there. And they have dinner. And they toast to old friends, which is obviously a Troy reference. Yes. While they're glaring at Scott going, you're not him. <laughs> but you're, you, know, you might be okay. I, you know, there's a lot of 
There's a lot of Scott hate. There is. There's a lot of Scott hate. We can't just love him immediately. No. Right? Can't love him immediately. You know, Troy at some point was an immature racist homophobe. That's true. (laughs) So there's that. There's some growing to do, and that's okay. And Scott is only around two seasons. It's not like he's here forever. No. Let's just accept Dan Scott for what he is. You know, I think he's okay. He's, he's just different. I like that he, he he offers to buy Barnaby a drink and offers to take him out for breakfast. Like He has strengths. Yeah, he does. But he is from a very different place. And he does investigative stuff that Troy took easily a whole season yes. to do. <laughs> and he has to acclimate. Yeah. Right? And I don't know about you, but my first day on a new job, if the shit was hitting the fan like him, I'd be a little discombobulated too. Yeah, there are three murders in this episode in the space of three days. In London, that would be a crime spree. Yeah. Now, I I know a lot of people get killed in London. There's a high murder rate and everything. It's a big city. There's a lot of people, a lot of people. But these are three murders in a town of 1,500 people. It would be like if there were three murders in London on the same block in the same day. Yeah. Right? In, in a very localized place. Yes. So we've got three corpses, Fiona, Charles, and Jacob the Odd Job Man. Okay, Who's Charles breathes. Wow, does he breathe. He's, he's And not, looks around, too. He's not the best dead body. It's okay. But he does have a tough one. He's a good actor. He's covered with that Carol Syrups crap. He's arched way back in a chair with yeah. a big apple in his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I don't think I could breathe. do it. It's got to be hard to breathe. Jacob, we can't count because, well... He's ashes. We don't really see him. Yeah, we don't really see him. The doll does a pretty good job being dead. So Fiona, without the movement, which I don't think is her fault. That's not her fault. It's not her her fault. I think she does a great job. She's got the wide open eyes and everything. And the rose in her mouth. Yep. Yep. I give Fiona the corpse of the episode. What about after the credits? After the credits. Well, let's see. I Uh, think Matthew has to raise Lily. There's a show I'll watch. (laughs) I'm trying to put all this together. Matthew is Fiona's. No, Matthew is who? Lynn's husband. Oh, oh my gosh. (laughs) Let's go to town, Dad. So that baby really should go to Noel. Yes. Noel has rights over it. And should her, yeah. yeah. And and I don't think Cassie and Noel would be I'm charged sorry. with anything. I didn't mean to talk about the baby like it was an it the way Cassie does. Yeah. She's beginning to think she's its real mother. Anyway, Cassie and Noel need to get out of that place. And I don't think they'll go anywhere, yeah. but I think Rachel might take Lily and go. I think and I think th- that would be a good not, thing. I think Matthew is gonna be like easily a week before he notices his wife is gone. Wait, did I have a wife? And he'll complain about her legal fees. Yeah. Lynn's not gonna look good in the jumpsuit. No, Scott's gonna do okay. Cully's going to be okay. Maybe Cully gets new friends. I hope Cully gets new friends. And Joyce can make breakfast. Yeah. Successfully. In a nice kitchen. Yeah. The kitchen appears in the next episode, too, along with young Sherlock Holmes. Maybe Ronald gets to move back into the schoolmaster's house. Maybe. Yeah, I would say that. Because it won't bother him that Charles was killed. Charles Rust has no family, no no, no wife, no kids. No wife, no kids. And it won't bother Ronald that Charles bled all over no, the living room. They'll be happy. They'll play cribbage in that room and be happy. Ring the bell, ding dong. And figure out what three red is. They should have called this episode Awards Day. Why is it called Bad Tidings? It should be called Bad Title. <laughs> they should have called it Awards Day. 
That yeah. would have made sense. Awards day would have made sense. Yeah. Or your friends are crap. <laughs> Watch out. Your friends are bad. Or great Scott. Great Scott. So you can find Midsummer Maniacs on Twitter, Instagram, and email. Uh, we post on the Facebook groups for Midsummer Murders and Acorn and the subreddit and anywhere else you can find Maniacs. And if you remember that house with the little bridge in another episode, oh, tell me, please tell me. So I got to tell you, I got to tease here. We got some things in the works that are interesting. Oh, yeah. We're going to, we might have some pretty interesting episodes coming. Yep. Different so, episodes. Yep. Some, some interesting. Oh, you tease you. Some, some interesting things afoot. Next episode is uh, episode 31, which is uh, season seven, episode three, The Fisher King. It's a good one. Oh, young Sherlock Holmes, man. It doesn't make me feel like I need to go shower. I'm so creeped and weirded out. Oh, you've forgotten some things. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't stay with me with that yucky feeling like this one does. I just have two words for you. Are you ready? Mm. Are you listening? I'm listening. Pagan Viagra. Oh, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but that's fun, though. Yeah. That's fun. All right, so until next time, Maniacs. Bye, bye. Maniacs. Bye, Maniacs. Gary Thompson. Jacob. Gary Thompson is her husband. Oh, Gary. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> you Let's try, try that again. again.